Right. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Grace. Have you ever thought about this? Why do some people succeed and others not? Some make it and others flounder. Here's two athletes with equal ability. Each of them gets a scholarship to play football at a local college. And one of them goes on to a really solid career, even setting a couple of school records. But the other one flounders and eventually ends up dropping out. Why is that? Or is, here, here's two business entrepreneurs blessed with equal ability and resourcing, and both of them start businesses. One of them makes millions, the other goes bankrupt. Why is that? I mean, is it just luck? Is that all that drives the outcome? Or we've all seen uh, couples who have spiritual and emotional and cultural compatibility, and it seems that the deck is stacked in their favor to really make it and have a great relationship. But 35 years later, one couple is just flourishing deeply in love with children and grandchildren, and just they want to be together, they enjoy one another, and the other couple is divorced and hardly speaking. Why is that? Well, there's certainly a lot of contributing factors that determine what happens in people's lives. But I've concluded that one of the key factors is persistence. Successful people just stick with things a little longer. And even when they see obstacles, they, they start kind of viewing those as opportunities. And even when they fall and stumble and fail at times, they learn from that and they fail forward and they just kind of keep on going and bouncing back. And every time they come back, they get more confidence and they're more self-assured. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we come to a passage today that is one of my absolute favorites. I have been encouraged at struggling times in my life over and over again by these words written by the Apostle Paul, inspired by God, the Holy Spirit. And so in this section, we're going to learn some important lessons about how to keep on keeping on. In fact, our theme verse for this whole section could kind of be this part of verse 16, which says, therefore, we don't lose heart. Now, I suspect that I'm talking to some people today who are struggling. And maybe you wonder if it's time for you to just quit, to give up, to throw up your hands and say enough. And I know, I know that I'm talking to a lot of people who have friends that are discouraged. And they're looking to you for some sense of hope. They're looking for what you can maybe contribute to their lives. And so I think we all desperately need what God has to say to us in this amazing section of Scripture. So please pay careful attention. Get, get your heart kind of open and get ready to receive what God wants to speak to you as we get 
some amazing encouragement from this passage in God's word. The first thing would simply be this, get back up. That's right, get back up when you get knocked down. I was sharing verses eight and nine with a boxer once, a guy who had really been successful in boxing, and he had become a believer, a Christian, but he wasn't aware of this passage. And I said, wow, man, this is good stuff. And when he read it, he said, I'm gonna take that as my life verses. Because as a fighter, when I get knocked down, I've gotta have the ability to keep going and get back up. Look at what Paul writes. We're hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. I love the way the Living Bible paraphrases verse 9. It says, we get, not, get knocked down, but we get up again and get going. Does that describe you? This section is so powerful in part because the human author of it, the Apostle Paul, was a beautiful description of the very things he's saying. You threaten him in Jerusalem, and he slips away to the Arabian desert and spends 10 years there preparing in solitude, getting ready for ministry. And later, he reemerges in Antioch as a powerful minister. You stone him and leave him for dead in Lystra? What does he do? He gets back up, and he goes to Derby and wins a great number of converts there. You beat him <coughs> within an inch of his life, put him in stocks in a dungeon in Philippi. What does he do? He converts the jailer. And the jailer and his whole household come to faith in Christ. You arrest him and drag him into the courtroom in Caesarea. What does he do? He turns the witness stand into a pulpit. And he not only shares his testimony, he shares the gospel of Jesus. He sees the obstacle as an opportunity. You strand him on the island of Malta after a shipwreck, and what does he do? He gets back up, and by God's grace, he's able to share the gospel with the island's chief politician, and he comes to faith in Christ. You put him in prison in Rome, and several months later, he walks out with copious amounts of the New Testament written. Knock him down, and he just keeps on getting back up. In his book, Core Values, Everything You Need to Know I Learned in the Marine Corps, Zell Miller tells about a high school senior who applied to three colleges only to be rejected by all three of them. And when he applied to a fourth and received a fourth rejection letter, he had had all he could take. And so he wrote to the admissions office, Dear Sir, I'm in receipt of your rejection, and quite frankly, sir, that is over my limit. So I'm rejecting your rejection, and I will report for college on September 18th. Wow. Now, I don't know how that turned out, but I want to tell you this. History is full of men and women who rejected the rejection and went on and did some pretty awesome things. Right here in nearby Schenectady, we know a little of the history of Thomas Edison. He didn't start out as, as an inventor. He started out selling newspapers on the Western Railroad, but he was fired from his job. He failed. He spilled some acid in a baggage car, and that failure turned him to 
telegraphy, and scientific research, and the rest is history. John Wesley is known for founding the Methodist Church, but he, came, he wanted to be a missionary. He came to Georgia to convert the Native Americans, but he was a miserable failure. And he left saying, I came to convert the Indians, but oh, who will convert me? Later, he went back to his home in England, dejected, until he was finally genuinely converted himself, and God so powerfully worked through Wesley's life that there was revival all across the UK, and the Methodist church, strong and vibrant, came out of that. Whistler, the artist, wanted to be a soldier more than anything else, but he failed his chemistry exam at West Point, and so he had to become an artist. He said later, if silicon had been a gas, I would have been a major general. <laughs> what kind of adversity have you gone through? When Albert Einstein was a graduate student, his doctoral dissertation was rejected at the University of Bern. They said it was, and I quote, too fanciful and irrelevant. Fortunately, he rejected the rejection and did not throw his theory of relativity into the wastebasket. As a sophomore, Michael Jordan got cut from his high school basketball team. But he rejected the rejection and went on to become the greatest basketball player in history. Colonel Sanders was broke at age 65 before he marketed his Kentucky Fried Chicken recipe. I'm just saying that it's imperative, brothers and sisters, that we have some of that spirit of tenacity and persistence as we live for Jesus Christ. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 16 reads, For though a righteous person falls seven times, he or she rises again, but the wicked are brought down by calamity. Now, here's the deal. Some of you maybe got a good start, but you feel like you have fallen horribly. Maybe you failed at relationships today, and you just feel like a miserable failure in that area. Maybe you had high hopes for your financial future, but your business has floundered and everything you've tried, it just, it just doesn't work. And you're so discouraged, you just want to quit. Some of you have, have tried in your Christian life maybe to, to make a difference and be a leader or maybe lead a small group, but it didn't work out the way you thought. And you feel so dejected. Listen, what I'm saying to you is get up. You've been knocked down, but get back up. Go on to the amazing future that God has for you. When Sherry Rose Shepherd, a beautiful one, young woman, entered a beauty contest as a young Christian, just wanting to let her life make a difference, she accidentally, in that pageant, walked off the end of the runway and literally fell right face down on the table where the judges were seated. She said to herself, so embarrassed, said, oh, I gotta get up, I gotta get up. And so she did, and then she quipped to the judges, ha, I just wanted you to remember me. Guess what? They did. She won that contest, she went on to win others, and eventually became Miss USA, boldly sharing her witness for Christ. You know what? As a church, we have 
seen over 5,000 people go through Dave Ramsey's Total Money Makeover class, the Financial Peace University, it's called. Do you realize that earlier in his life, Dave Ramsey was bankrupt? A financial failure, utterly dejected. But he embraced some healthy financial principles, began to live them and share them with others, and the rest is the stuff that legend is made up. I don't know what you're going through, but I believe God has another story to write. You see, we as humans usually introduce that little word but with a, because of a negative thought. We say, well, it's been a beautiful day, but it's going to rain. Oh, I've been feeling good, but I know my back is going to act up. Oh, I enjoyed the church service, but I wish we'd sing more hymns. Oh, I believe in God, but I don't know why he lets those things happen. I really like Pastor Rex, but fill in the blank. <laughs> but in the Bible, the biblical writers use that little word, but, to introduce a positive reality. For example, James was beheaded, but the word of God increased. Peter was in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The church was severely persecuted, but the word of God continued to increase and spread. And best of all, Jesus said, in this world you're going to have trouble, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world, and how we need that spirit of persistence and resilience today when we get knocked down, get back up in Jesus' name. You say, but pastor, Satan is winning some victory. Sure he is. You say, but pastor, bad things are happening in the world. Of course they are. But greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Therefore, we do not lose heart. The second piece, oh, this is so strong for me. I, I just, I've drank from this passage for so many years. It just, it just keeps me going when times are hard. The second thing I see here is that we're to love the Lord more than life itself. Look with me at verse 10 and following. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. Now, that means more than this, but among other things, it means as we suffer here in the flesh, it reminds us powerfully that Jesus has already suffered and even died for us. And that's a life-changing reminder. For we who live are or alive, are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Here's what I want you to get. Paul could persevere because he considered his own life expendable for the cause of Christ. 
He loved the Lord and his cause more than his own life. There are many examples of that in the Bible. Let me just mention one that's one of my favorites. You can read about this in Acts chapter 19. Paul was sharing in a beautiful, prosperous city named Ephesus. And if you go there today, you can still see the the ruins and what remains of this magnificent amphitheater. It's called in Acts 19, the theater. And it seated, archaeologists believe, about 25,000 people in Paul's day. And God had so blessed Paul's preaching, he had brought so many people to faith in Christ that the people who made these little souvenirs, these little goddesses of, of the goddess Diana, these little figurines, they were feeling threatened. They thought they were going to be put out of business. The people wouldn't want to buy these anymore, and so they incited a riot against the Christians. And Scripture says that all the people rushed as one person into this big amphitheater. Verse 30 reads, Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Now picture this. Paul loved the Lord and his cause more than his own life. Get the scene. This big mob, this this crowd of people who are hungry for blood go into the theater and they start chanting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Now, folks, I don't know about you, but if I just walked out of the house I was staying in and I looked into the opening of this big theater with 25,000 people stomping their feet, calling for blood, I think I would have said, you know what, that's my cue to slip out of town. Somebody's going to get hurt here. But when Paul came out of his house and saw all those people gathered together, he said, wow, this is my opportunity to tell them about Jesus. He wanted to go there and preach the gospel to them. He didn't care about his own safety. Verse 31 reads, even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theater. But do you get his heart? He's going, look, if I can just share Christ with one more person and let them know that he died for their sins, I don't care how many shipwrecks I have to go through, how many beatings, how much imprisonment, how much loneliness or hunger. It'll be worth it. He loved the Lord and his cause more than life itself. Let me ask you, does Jesus Christ matter more to you than any other thing in this world? I'll never forget that movie from years ago, First Night, which kind of retold the legend of Camelot. And Richard Gere in the movie plays Sir Lancelot. He, and in the movie, he's asked, he has these amazing sword skills. He's asked to teach a younger man the skills of expert swordsmanship, and he agrees. He says, well, first of all, you have to study the moves of your opponent so that you know what he's going to do before he does it. And the student says, I can do that. And then Lancelot says, and then you've got to be able to recognize now, you've got to be able to recognize that moment in any fight when the fight can be won or lost. The student says, wow, I, I can do that. If you'll teach me, I can do it. And then he says, and finally, 
You have not to care, my friend, whether you live or die. Ooh. That's a little harder. But do you know that that's really what Jesus calls us to? He said, as recorded in Matthew's gospel, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. Thankfully, most of us aren't called to be martyrs. But the relevant question today is, is your devotion to Christ greater than any other earthly thing? What about romantic relationships? If the Lord made it clear, I mean really clear to you, that a certain romantic relationship was just out of bounds, just not right, would you give it up for the Lord? If he put a call on your life, as he's done with many people at Grace through the years, and called you to leave the pleasures, the comforts of the United States of America, go to a developing country, and represent Jesus there by sharing his word and starting a church perhaps or living it out in some way, would you be willing to say, I'll go anywhere, I'll do anything? Let me ask you, let me ask you, friend, I'm just talking to your heart today. Is Jesus Christ more than the very life you live to you or is he just a weekend convenience? You'd better know the answer to that because if he's not, if you don't love the Lord more than life itself, persevering is sometimes going to be very, very difficult. Jesus said, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever's dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. Annie Dillard, a favorite writer of mine, says, how we spend our days is how we spend our lives, if we're faithful in the days, it can honestly be said we're faithful with our life. So let me ask you, is your allegiance to your Lord Jesus Christ greater? Is your devotion to him, does it supersede every other earthly desire or ambition? Wow. I don't know about you, but this... This is one challenging section of God's word. But to me, it gets even better. Verses 13 through 15 reveal an additional encouragement for people like us who are often get discouraged in life and who need to be reminded that by God's grace, we can go on. Third, sometimes we just need to believe what you say you believe. 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 I know that may sound strange, but believe, I'll explain it. Believe what you say you believe. Verse 13. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Now, what that essentially means is, look, if you really believe in something, your basketball team, your grandchildren, if you really believe in your community organization, then you're going to give a testimony about it. 
If you really love and believe in something, it, 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 it's not going to issue in silence. You're going to talk about it. You're going to want people to know about it. You're not going to be silent. With that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. Now listen closely. The apostle Paul knew both what he believed and whom he believed. He knew what he believed. He was absolutely convinced that there are certain postulates that are facts that are irrevocable and we must embrace among them. That Jesus is the promised Messiah who fulfilled all of those Old Testament scriptures. That Jesus' atoning death on the cross means that my sins can be forgiven forever. That Jesus rose bodily from the grave vindicating everything he'd ever said and giving all of us a reason to hope and that one day the very power that raised Jesus from the dead would also give life to our mortal bodies. Oh, he believed that with all of his heart. But he also knew whom he believed. In the very last letter he wrote from a Roman dungeon called the Mamertine Dungeon, he wrote to Timothy... I'm not ashamed. I know because I know whom I've believed. And I'm convinced that he's able to guard what I've entrusted to him for that day. And because Paul knew what he believed and whom he believed, it gave him a why for life. It gave his life an eternal purpose, an eternal why. And that's why he says in verse 15, all this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. In other words, knowing that God is working in my life through all these hardships and all this stuff motivates me to keep going. A wonderful teacher may say, you know what, I've just about had it with these children <laughs> and with this administration and with this whole scene, I'm gonna quit. And then in a better moment, she says, you know what, I believe God's called me here. I've seen the difference that God has made through me and I know for sure that these students really need what I can offer. A wife may say, I've had it up to here with my husband's insensitivity and neglect. I'm out of here. I'm done. But in a little saner moment, she says, but you know what? I know that God is working deeply in my life through these hardships. And I know he's got a plan for my husband as well as me. And I know that God can bring about a powerful witness if I stick with this. And she does. A business person gets discouraged because competitors are lying and cheating and making more, ready to quit. But he remembers his core beliefs and he holds on. Christians need to be people who know why we, what we believe and why we believe it. Now, folks, anytime someone sees a church the size of Grace Fellowship, you know what they often think and sometimes say? Oh, that just must be a feel-good church. 
And I know, I know the temptation because you say, well, yeah, yeah it's just me. It must be all about feeling good there. There wouldn't be so many people there. I guess I'd rather be a feel-good church than a feel-bad church. Wouldn't it be strange to have as your goal for people to feel bad when they left? I mean, boy, I feel so grumpy today. Man, I just want to kill somebody. What an awesome service. That would be strange, wouldn't it, if that were the outcome? Yeah. But, but, but in all seriousness, can I say something that concerns me about some of you? I am concerned. I am honestly concerned I say this just heart to heart with a smile that some of you come to church just because it makes you feel good. And here's what I'm saying. If that's all there is to it, that's gonna fade away when the pressure is on in your life. Christianity is all about facts to be believed, faith to be expressed, and feelings to be experienced. Let me say that again. It it includes facts to be believed, faith to be expressed, and feelings to be experienced. But don't get those out of order. Or you just got a feel-good deal going on. Sometimes when my family and I are going through hard times, maybe... We just had something tear up and it's going to require thousands of dollars. Or maybe we just lost a loved one, someone we really care about, and our hearts are broken with grief. Or maybe we've just had someone that we've worked with maybe for months or even years and, and they've, just, they've just made a really bad decision. And we feel like everything we invested in them is just pointless. Sometimes when we're feeling a little, a little discouraged. I've often looked at our family in moments like that and said, you know, Sometimes we just have to believe what we say we believe. And that's true. Last Sunday afternoon, I had the privilege of chatting with Jay and Karis Bernardo. I don't know how many of you may know them, but Jay and Karis have been a part of Grace since the very first public service some 24 years ago. Karis was actually the leader of our kids' celebration ministries before it was ever called that, three little classrooms in that storefront, and she was the original leader of that, and she's been actively involved in women's ministry, still is at Grace for all these years, and she and Jay have led so many ministries and been so active, and in the process of these 24 years at Grace, they've raised three awesome children who are all now young adults. But just a short time back, Karis, who's always been the picture of health, by the way, was diagnosed with stage four cancer. Everyone shocked. How, how could that be? And many of you have been reading her blogs on Caring Bridge, and you've been lifting this family up in prayer and staying updated, and I hope you'll continue that. But last Sunday afternoon, as I chatted with them, I was so impressed by their maturity and the godly perspective. And Karis gave me permission to share all of this. And at one point she said, you know, sometimes I just pray that God would just show off and just heal me like that and just bring all the glory to himself because he healed a stage four cancer. Wouldn't that be great? And they, they continue to pray for that. And they're human. They acknowledge that sometimes they have their moments 
where they're just really, really upset and, and, and asking that why question, that's just being human. We would all do that. But can I tell you the thing that impresses me the most about Jay and Karis as they walk through this? Like all Christ-centered Jesus followers, their number one goal is for God to get glory no matter what. In healing, in death, no matter what happens, we want God to get the glory. And as I said goodbye to them after just being amazed at that perspective, wishing that so many more people had that mature perspective on life, I said, you know, there comes times when we just have to believe what we say we believe. And by God's grace, they're doing that beautifully. You see, friends, it's one thing to believe when life is going smoothly. It's a whole different deal to believe it when life is unjust and unfair. Is that you? Job lost all of his possessions. All ten of his children were killed. He lost his own health. He had these oozing sores all over his body that he just sat around and kind of scraped with a piece of pottery. His wife looked at him and said, dude, you're miserable. You ought to just curse God and die. Just get it over with. And yet in the midst of that turmoil, Job had the tenacity to say, I'm still going to hold on to my beliefs, and I'm going to say, even if God slay me, still I'm going to trust in him. Is that you? Do you still hold on to your convictions? Can you say, I still believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, even when it feels like the bottom has fallen out? There's one final thing here I want us to see. If we're going to be encouraged to persevere, even in turbulent times, even when life isn't making sense, we've got to keep our eye on the goal. Keep your eye on the goal. Let's read these final verses. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though our outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. That almost sounds oxymoronic, doesn't it? How do you fix your eyes on what you can't even see? And yet you can as a believer. You can focus on the unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Now, the final reason here that Paul could persevere is because he kept his eyes on the goal. Now, in all fairness, (coughs) he had been given a glimpse into what heaven was like. He talks about that in chapter 12 of this very letter And he says, I I was caught up to the third heaven and I saw inexpressible things, things man is not even permitted to tell. And then no wonder he could say, I'm convinced that heaven is better by far, better by far. So fix your eyes on the eternal spiritual goal. Everything you experience down here, everything you can touch, taste, handle, experience with your five empirical senses, it's all going to pass away. Only what is unseen 
remains. It was a very foggy day, the 4th of July, 1952, when Florence Chadwick set out from Catalina Island and started swimming the 21 miles to the coast of California. No woman had ever done that before. And America was riveted to their TV sets, wondering, can she pull this off? Her mom and her trainer were in a little boat going along beside her to give her encouragement and coaching. And there was also another boat with some men with guns to shoot any sharks that might get too close. And she swam and swam through that foggy, foggy day, 15 hours, 55 minutes until she finally quit, only a half mile from the shore of California. She later said, I did not quit because I was cold, although I was. I did not quit because I was tired, although she was very tired. She said, I quit because I just couldn't see the shore. Three months later, on a gorgeous, beautiful day, she went back and tried the same swim again and did it in two hours less than any person had ever swam it before. It's so important that we keep our eyes on the goal, but I want to tell you, Satan will try to blind you and distract you, dear friend. But what awaits you in heaven is going to make all these troubles down here look like small potatoes compared to the great celebration he has in store for you. You know, probably my favorite hymn of all of the hymns of the church is probably Great is Thy Faithfulness. I just love that song. It always inspires me. It usually chokes me up. And, and I love all the words, but probably my favorite stanza is stanza three. Here's what it says. Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth. Thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. And here's the words I like best. Here's the words that I just drink life from every time I sing them. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine with 10,000 beside. I don't, know, I don't know what you're going through today. I don't know if you're ready to quit and give up and throw in the towel and say enough. But I do know this, that when you belong to Jesus, he gives you strength for today and bright hope. For tomorrow and that helps me keep going and it's going to help you by his grace persevere as well father i pray for all of us who are feeling ready to quit ready to give up help us to see that when we get knocked down we by your grace can get back up again oh lord help us to see that we need to love you more than life itself Oh, God, help us to believe what we say we believe and then help us keep our eye fixed on that goal and bring glory to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen.